All right, Sedaris, well, welcome to our time of teaching now. Uh, thank you to Jordan and to my lovely wife, Allie. Uh, go ahead and wrap up your four-minute conversations. Uh, now is the time where we move into teaching the Word of God. If you're new with us uh, or you're not yet a Christian, maybe this is uh, you're watching this online, uh, what we do is we teach from uh, this book. We believe God has inspired it, and so He speaks to us through it. So today we're going to be looking at a letter from the Apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus as one of his, in his inner circle close to him, and he's written a letter now after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, Peter's helped to start this Jesus movement in the Near East, and, and um, he's helped to start some churches, and so he's writing this letter to encourage them because they were facing persecution and suffering for being Christians. So, so this letter and this message is, in one sense, very much geared towards those who are already Christians, but if you're not yet a Christian, we hope you can glean much from this to see the way Christians think through uh, loving one another and loving our world uh, in spite of challenging times. So, um, again, we're so glad that you're here with us. So, if you've got a copy of the Bible, would you open to 1 Peter chapter 4? It's a small book near the back of the Bible, so if you need to use the table of contents to find it, no shame in that. You could also Google uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. So um, let me go ahead and uh, start by telling you a little story. So keep turning to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll come to that in just a second. But before we, we do, I want to tell you um, about when I was young and cool. So in 2002, after my freshman year of college, uh, I went to the first ever Sasquatch Festival. Uh, it's a music festival at the Gorge in eastern Washington. Fantastic artists. Some of my favorite, Ben Harper was there, Jack Johnson, uh, John Butler Trio from Australia. Shout out to all my Australian friends. Um, and uh, also a band called String Cheese Incident, which a uh, fantastic jam band, if you've ever uh, heard them. So uh, this was a music festival, lots of dancing, lots of drugs, uh, lots of alcohol, uh, lots of debauchery, okay? Uh, like many music festivals that you may have been to. Now, here's the thing. I wasn't participating in any of the debauchery. Uh, people would be offering me uh, drugs, paraphernalia, things like this. I just uh, said, no thanks. Everybody's really nice about it. Uh, but I remember somebody asking me the question, hey, man, you know, like, you keep saying no to this stuff, like, uh, what are you doing here? And I just simply said to them, well, I'm here for the music. <laughs> and that was sort of a novel uh, response. They thought, the music? Yeah, well, of course, everyone's there for the music, but we're there for so much more than just the music. The music's just kind of the reason. And I just remember the look on his face and <laughs> thought it was interesting that he he was a curious, I was a curious case uh, that I was there just for the music. It was a fantastic uh, time. I wore a tank top uh, the whole time and got so sunburned that to this day I have what I call a perma burn. You can still see the tank top mark on my chest. Um, so fantastic. So I'm reminded of this uh, great fun experience, but uh, how novel it was for me to not participate in some of the elements of a music festival such as this. Now, what does this have to do with uh, my talk today? Well, um, I've really, since that time and, and many other times in my life, been asking a really big question, which is this. Can, can I be a Christian and be cool? Can I be a Christian and be 
Cool. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, or if you're not yet a Christian, maybe you've asked the question, if I became a Christian, uh, could I still be cool? And here's the answer. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. And uh, it really depends on what you mean by cool. Now, for me, as I've thought about this, I think there's two kinds of cool. The first kind of cool is what I would call cool in the sense of popular. And a definition for that might be being the best at fitting in. So you're sort of the best at fitting in, best at wearing the right clothes, going to the right parties, having the right friends, saying the right things, knowing the right movie quotes, uh, whatever it might be. But you're the best at doing what everybody else does. That's the first kind of cool. Those people we tend to see as cool. The second kind of cool is a bit different. The second kind of cool is what I would call refreshing. So this is people who are unique, uh, maybe one of a kind, uh, and we tend to see them as cool. And, and, and really why we see them as cool is they're the best at being themselves. They're the best at being secure in their true identity. Um, and both kinds of cool, we, I think we see people in each of these categories as cool because what we notice in them is a type of confidence, maybe, that we don't have. And it's really rooted in being the best at two different things, either being the best at fitting in or being the best at being yourself. Both can be seen as cool. So this is really the question. Can a Christian be cool in either of these ways? And I think, um, I think Peter is actually going to give us a hint into the answer to that question. So if you've got it with me, would you turn with me and read 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Now for some context, I'll just remind you last week we talked about this, that uh, uh, Peter was telling us about how Jesus Christ actually went to the cross, died for our sin in our place, suffered for us, was actually died in the flesh, was buried, um, but it was through this suffering that he rose again, victorious, uh, the conqueror, and put everything under his feet. So you can go back and listen to that sermon. And so Peter starts by saying, Since, chapter 4, verse 1, Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. So, because what we just talked about last week is true that Jesus Christ through his death conquered all the powers all in the spiritual realm and the physical realm he was victorious through the cross and the resurrection but it took his suffering since Christ had to suffer in order to be victorious you should also arm yourself with the same way of thinking arm yourself with the same way of thinking so what is Peter saying here um, basically what he's saying is this. There, you might hear it. There's almost a militaristic tone to it. He's saying, listen, we are not in a time of peace. We are still in a time of war. And because we're in a time of war, you should arm yourself, equip yourself for the kind of warfare that will happen. Um, and, and the way you equip yourself is through the way you think and see the world. 
And so he's saying, putting on, like putting on a pair of glasses, put on the Jesus glasses to see the world the way Jesus did. And the way Jesus saw the world is that his victory came through suffering, not despite or around suffering. He had to go through it. He had to go through the water to raise us up to life. And so with that way of thinking that this is the way salvation and victory happen in God's world, then we should expect to suffer as well. You say, well, Dave, I thought Jesus conquered all his enemies through the cross and the resurrection. Why do you say this is a wartime? Well, uh, think of it like this. Uh, think of a, maybe a, a, a war like Afghanistan, for instance. Whatever, whatever, you know, I'm not making a political statement here. I'm just saying, think about that war. Well, in all extensive purposes, um, there is really no question whether or not the United States or Afghanistan um, and, and some of uh, the terrorists that still live and work there, uh, whether that's a real fight, <laughs> okay? The United States won that war and could win any war at any moment um, if we really wanted to. But even though the war itself is sort of decided, uh, there is the reality, uh, which is this that the fighting has not stopped, that, that, that there are still insurgents who continue to have their weapons and to fight tooth and nail to try to create havoc and trouble. And so if you are a soldier still in Afghanistan, and, and many are, um, and we should pray for them, um, uh, what you would do, what the wise thing to do would be to continue to be alert and ready and arm yourself, even though in one sense the war is over. The war has changed. It's not really in question. And, and that's what Peter's saying here. Even though Jesus was victorious, the enemies of God in God's plan continue to be able to fight in war. And so they will. And so you too must arm yourself. And, and the way you arm yourself is with this way of thinking, these glasses that say, I might, even though he's won, I might still suffer. And my suffering might be like his in that I will actually come through the suffering stronger and, and closer to God, uh, what God's plan is for my life than without the suffering. So that's what Peter is saying. So look at the second half of verse one. He says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh, that's in this current body, has ceased from sin. What he's saying is, um, when we choose the way of Jesus, we will suffer. And in choosing the way of Jesus that leads to suffering, it will allow us to break the bonds of sin. This doesn't mean that we'll stop sinning altogether. Um, that's clear throughout Scripture that even once you become a Christian, you continue to fall short of God's will in your life. And you continue to go your own way. So that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is... That the power of sin, the dominion of sin, sin's control over you will be broken. And, and the way that breaks is often through the suffering that God will bring into your life or allow into your life. The part of the breaking of sin comes through sort of the slings and arrows of the enemies of God. That actually is what makes you stronger and makes your bondage to sin even less. So we don't run from our suffering, but we follow Jesus and we see how through his suffering there was victory. We too can have suffering. This is the new way of thinking. These are the new glasses we put on that we should expect this 
to happen. And so he says, it goes on to say this, verse 2, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, that is the rest of your days on earth before you die, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So two things I want to point out here that's really cool. He's saying, you will experience suffering, um, but keep going the way of Jesus. The time has come and gone that you live the way that you used to live, that you live the way the rest of the world lives, that you do the popular thing. That time has come and gone. And I, and I love this. He says, it's no longer. Now, two, two, two things I want to say about the no longer. The first is that this implies that these Christians were doing it. So maybe you, grew, you, know, you have this idea that Christians were always Christians and they never sinned and they never partied and they never, and I can't be a Christian because, uh, you know, I did those things. No, <laughs> Peter's talking and writing to Christians here. He's saying, listen, all of us were once like that. All of us were going to these parties. All of us were getting drunk. All of us were going to orgies. All of us were sleeping around and, and letting lust control our lives. We're all like that. But now that we found Jesus and we've put on these new glasses, our lives are different. We no longer do that. But we once did. And this is beautiful because Christianity has always said it's not those sinners and us Christians. It's always we are all sinners fallen short of the glory of God. No, no one's righteous. No, not one of us. But we are all saved by God's grace. Everyone, a sinner, saved by grace. The difference is the Christian recognizes that they're a sinner, that their way is a way that leads to life and death and drowning, and they choose to come to Jesus and ask for his rescue. They choose to allow Jesus to save them by the cross and the resurrection. That's the only difference. We are all sinners. That's so important. So he says, the time, the time is past. The time that has passed, it suffices. And I, I love this as well. He's saying like, listen, However long that time has been, however long you've been doing it the way of the world, however long you've been uh, partying and, and seeking after pleasure and going your own way and worshiping other gods, however long that is, just think of it like this. That's the past. You had your moment. You did that thing. It's in the past. Now move on to the new chapter in your life. And he doesn't, he, do, he doesn't want us to feel shame. He wants us to give that shame to Jesus. Jesus died for our guilt and our shame. He's saying, yeah, it's in the past. You don't have to deny it. You don't have to pretend that you uh, weren't like everyone else and, and tempted like everyone else and gave in to temptation. You were like everyone else. But that time has passed. It sufficed. You had that moment. Now, live for Jesus. That's what he's saying. Live the rest of your life before you die, free from all that stuff that used to dominate your thinking, used to dominate your time, used to be the things that you turned to for pleasure and fun. That's in the past. Now move towards God's will and His commands and what He says brings life. Move towards His holiness from here on out. The time has passed. It was enough. Let's move on. So look at with, uh, with me, verse 4-4. He says, With respect... To this, that is, with respect to this no longer living in the way you used to, with respect to this, they, that's your friends, drinking buddies, uh, people you used to, to, to run with, they are surprised 
when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. They're surprised, and this Greek word for surprised literally means they are caught off guard or affected by your novelty. <laughs> so they're like, this is strange. I've never seen anybody go from living like this to not, this is novel to me. It's strange. They're affected by it. They're surprised by it. They're caught off guard. They're like, why isn't he coming with us anymore? So. Uh, this is so important to understand. When you choose to follow Jesus, it's not that you stop being friends with these people, but your friends will be surprised. They'll say, uh, why, 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 doesn't he, uh, uh, why doesn't he act like he used to? Uh, why, why doesn't he still gossip um, at happy hour like he used to? You know, why, why is he only having one or two drinks when we go out? Well, why, why won't he go to the strip club anymore with us? Why, uh, why has he stopped, uh, you know, hooking up on Tinder? What? Uh, why won't he burn one down? Why won't he burn one down with all this anxiety of the coronavirus? What's going on? It's surprising to them. And to be honest, this novelty that affects people, and they're like, what's going on? For most of, of them, this will make them very upset. This will make them very angry. And, 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 and Peter says, they will malign you. They will slander you. They'll speak bad about. Do you know Dave? What do you you know? He's not. He never comes out with us anymore. He does, does the same things. Oh, what's going on? Who, who does he think he is? Think he's better than us? This is what they're saying in their head. Are you judging me? Are you judging me because you won't join me? This is what people are thinking. This is what they're feeling, and they're angry about it. The novelty of the way you've lived, the confidence with which you act out, it it, it affects people. It affects them. And they, they feel judged. And you need to remind them, I'm not, ju- I'm not judging you. That, that's not my job here. Look at, look at what Peter says. He says, he, he's reminding Christians. He's like, listen, um, if this happens, if they malign you, uh, don't worry. Verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So he's reminding them of this future moment when, when God will raise all who have died up. Everyone will experience a resurrection, some to a resurrection of life and forgiveness, others to a resurrection of death and separation from God. But everybody will be raised. The living will come before God. The dead will be raised up. Everyone will stand before God and give an account for their life. And Peter's reminding them of this. Like, if people feel like you're judging them by not joining, just say, no, we're not judging. I'm not judging you. Uh, that's not my job. But, but there is a God, and he, he does have desires for your life and will. And there, it's coming a day when He will. Uh, he will ask you to give an account. So that's not my job. I'm not judging. I'm just choosing not to join in this way. So your novelty will affect them, and many will be upset by it, uh, but perhaps some will see it as refreshing. Some will see it as cool, you could even say, that you're strong enough to say no thanks, that uh, you're true to your convictions, that uh, there wasn't a fleeting moment where you had a spiritual awakening and then you just went back. But you, you show longevity and persistence in your conviction to follow the ways of God. This is refreshing to people and some might see it as, as cool and ask you about it. So let's look now at verse 6. This is the, the passage that I told you about last week uh, that some people turn to and say, you see here this teaches that everyone gets a second chance. 
uh, to hear the gospel and repent even after they die. Is that what it's saying? Let's read it. He says, For um, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, I don't think in the context, and, and, and in part because nowhere else in Scripture does it say this. Everywhere else in Scripture it says uh, every man has one chance to live and then comes uh, the end and then comes judgment. And so that's the constant testimony of Scripture. And here if you're just looking at the context, Peter is really, he's talking about the objections that non-Christian friends will make when you make this trans transition in the way you live. Here's the things that they'll do. They'll malign you, they'll slander, they'll pressure you. And you know what they'll also say? I think this is what Peter's saying. They'll also point to the fact that, hey, look at all those other people that followed Jesus, all those other people that trusted in God. Look, they died just like everybody dies. They were affected by the coronavirus just like everybody was affected by the coronavirus. Uh, what the objection is, is how great is this God if he can't even protect his people? Everyone who's been a Christian that I know has died. And this is actually true. But what Peter's reminding them is although they died, when they were alive, they heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They believed it's true. They trusted in Jesus. They turned from their sin and went to following Jesus. They put on those new glasses. And when they did, they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were given a new heart. And even though they died in the flesh as all humans die, they were raised up in the Spirit and are now... Uh, with God in heaven, awaiting the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus, to come to earth in full as it is in heaven. So they're now in, alive in the Spirit uh, with God. So they aren't like everyone else. Yes, they died in this body like everyone else, but they are now alive unlike everybody else because of their faith and trust in Jesus. So Peter is reminding them. I think that's what this passage teaches. So when he says he preached to the dead, he's just saying he preached to those who are now dead when they were alive. So <clears throat> uh, this sort of ends the first section in which Peter is saying, change the way you're living. Stop living your old way. And now he transitions and say, is going to say, here's the positive way in which you live. So look at verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So you see how this is the opposite of being um, um, drunk and um, not in control and just partying and doing uh, whatever seems good in your own eyes and pleasurable in your own eyes. Instead, because the end of all things is at hand, and, and by this he means not necessarily that the end of the world is at hand, but listen, life is short. You only have so many days. You don't know how long those days are. Jesus could come back at any time. There is nothing left for Jesus to do before he comes back and establishes his eternal kingdom. And so we are in the end of all things. We're, we're in that moment. It could happen at any time. And because we could die or Jesus could come back at any moment, we live in a way that's alert. We're ready. We're trying to maximize the time we have left for the good of others. That's what Peter is saying. That is so different than the way the world thinks, the way the world sings the song of life. So the world 
sings a song like this. And we too once sang this song. We used to think this song was cool. We used to think this way. This, this seemed normal to us. We used to sing, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry for tomorrow our youth runs out. Or let's eat, let's drink and be merry, mer- uh, be merry for tomorrow we get married and then we'll have kids and then it's really all over. So this is sort of the anthem of the world and it was the same back then as it is today. <clears throat> and Peter's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus now, you've put on new glasses, this is not the song you sing. This is not the karaoke you throw up on the screen. The karaoke you throw up on the screen goes something like this. Yes, tomorrow we will die. So let's be alert and sober-minded and controlled and maximize the time to bless others and bring good into the world and tell people about Jesus. Because yes, tomorrow we will die. Or tomorrow Jesus will come back. And so you see we have a new song, a new anthem, something new that drives us. And it's all rooted in the understanding that yes, the days are fleeting that we're not promised tomorrow. And so how do we make the most of today? And so he's going to give us a few ways that we might make the most of today. So look at verse 8. He says this, The first way that you make the most, above all, he says, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. He's not saying that every time you love well, one of your sins gets canceled out. What he's talking about here is that people will sin against you. But when you repay their sin or their evil or their mockery with love, rather than your own sin, your own evil, your own mockery of them, when you repay it with love, you actually cancel and break the cycle of sin. So with your love, your ability and willingness to love one another at your own expense, to absorb that in yourself and return love instead of just bounce back what they've sent towards you, you are doing what Jesus did, which is breaking the cycle of sin. So your love will actually cancel out a multitude of sins. You'll cancel out a multitude of unhealthy cycles of sinning against one another. What an amazing calling to be just like Jesus. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, he says, Next, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another. Again, because Jesus showed hospitality to us, he invited us into his eternal home, into his eternal family. He's invited us into that. We get to be like Jesus. Hey, if you're a cohort leader, would you stand up right now? I know we can't see you, but if you're a cohort leader, if you have led a cohort, just stand up right now. Just stand up real quick. Um, I want you to visualize your cohort leaders standing up and I want you to smile at them and clap. These people are living out this verse. Each and every week they throw a party at their house. 10 to 20 people. And that's not easy. And it's never convenient. Allie and I have led cohorts uh, for many, many years. And um, you know what? It comes around to that day of the week. And guess what? Uh, as long as often as the day is long, it's never the perfect day, the perfect night to lead the group. It's always inconvenient. It always feels like it falls on the, the least opportune time. But you host anyhow. You show hospitality. You invite in the new people, the new strangers into your group. You turn nobody away. Why do you do this? Because this is what Jesus did for you. When you were a stranger, he invited 
you in. And you do it without grumbling. Why? Because Jesus did it without grumbling. He went to the cross and he suffered and he invited us into his life without grumbling. And this is so strange. <laughs> you talk to people and you tell them that you host a, a party at your house every week. They're like, I do that once or twice a year. You do it every week? You're weird. You're crazy. You're strange. You're novel. And some might think it's cool. Uh, Allie and I have hosted so many things at our house. We started a church in our living room. Uh, we've had people living in our basement for three years, yeah, voluntarily. And... Um, <laughs> And, and people are coming and going all the time. And we don't know all of our neighbors great. Not all of them know that I'm a pastor. And I'm always thinking, what do they think we do? What do they think's going on here? And one of two things always comes to mind. They either think we're really popular people, really cool Seattle socialites, and, and we just have a great social life. Uh, that's not true. The other thing they might think is uh, we're running a drug house. <laughs> and we got people coming and going, clients coming and going. Those are the only two things that probably make sense to people. Uh, but the reality is uh, we're not. We're just doing this, being hospitable without grumbling. And so um, thank you, cohort leaders. If you're still standing, you can sit down. Uh, I just want to thank you for doing this, for living this very strange, unusual way. Uh, we're so thankful that you do this for our community. And all of us can do this in ways. Invite people into our life. Invite that coworker that doesn't always get invited um, out to happy hour. Uh, go to lunch with somebody. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your home. Share your life with them. And do it without grumbling. Um, do it out of a love for Jesus. And that is so unique. And if you do this throughout the years, because you can't just do it once. If this is the constant testimony of your life, there's this cumulative case, and the world will look and they'll say, wow, they really believe in this hospitality. And um, they've been doing it for so many years without grumbling and without selling the car narcotics. And that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. So finally, look at verses 10 and 11 with me real quick. As each has received a gift, here's the third thing he says, uh, use it, use it. If you have a gift, use it. Serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this last one is really whatever. God has given all of us gifts. And it's just use it, but not just for yourself, not just for your own family, but use it to bless others. That's what he's saying. This other-centeredness is very unique to Christians. So we bless other people. And when we bless other people, people recognize our gift and they recognize the blessing. They give praise and honor and glory to Jesus, who is the designer and the crafter of that glory. So just imagine you go to a party and you do what everybody should do. You go right to the snack table, great hors d'oeuvres and and, and, you know, there's some brie tartlets there and you're eating them and you're, whoa, brie tartlets. These are amazing. Who made these? Peter from the party runs over and he's like, Phoebe made those. And you're like, Phoebe, Phoebe, you're amazing. What a genius, Phoebe. Now what's happened to Phoebe? She's used her gifts to bless others. And in return, she is glorified, which means she's noticed, appreciated, recognized, honored. And the same thing happens with us. When we choose to bless others, not only are they blessed, but also Jesus, who we give the credit to for the gift that we have, he is lifted up, noticed, appreciated, honored, and praised. So that's all that Peter's saying. Use your gift to bless others. That's your job. 
and in return, give God the credit and he will be glorified because of it. So we do these things and Peter says, this is the way of the Christian life. This is living with it. And it won't always lead to people appreciating you. Often it can lead to suffering, but through it all, you will glorify God and people just might see something novel and unique about you. So let's see, have we answered the question? Let's, let's think about it. Has Peter told us if we can be a Christian and be cool? The answer is no. But the answer is yes. The answer is no if what you mean by it is, in the, is the first sense of cool. If you cannot be a Christian and be the best at fitting in, it just does not work. Um, if you try to live this way, you might have some success, but, but not much. You will not be filled with confidence. You'll be like on the JV, and you will not ever be seen as the best at fitting in. It'll just be awkward and unnatural for you. The best way I can say it is, um, you know, like it or not, uh, Christian will always be the odd man out <laughs> at an orgy. And so um, you can't do it. You can't be cool in that first sense. But if you're talking about the second sense of the word cool, to be refreshing, novel, unique, totally confident in who you are, the best at being yourself and loving the gifts that God's giving you and using them to bless others and being other-centered, then in that sense, you can be cool and the world might just see you as that. How do I know this is true? Well. Two, two examples I would give from to this day and age of how um, this phenomenon happens, the second type of cool. The first, um, I, I just saw an ad the other day um, that came up on my computer. By the way, it's a 20-minute ad. It's basically a life story of the founder of Charity Water. I love that it's a 20-minute ad. That seems like something I would do. Charity Water, Scott Harrison, and he tells his story of starting Charity Water. Before he started Charity Water, he was uh, one of the top club promoters in New York City. His job was basically to help people live out debauchery, drunkenness, orgies, music, festivals, um, just the flood. He was literally the one making that happen and participating in it himself. After 10 years of that, he has a spiritual awakening. And he realizes that he needs to return to the faith of his use, which is a, a, the Christian faith. He says he went on a long trip with his Bible. And um, he ended up serving in some nonprofits in Africa and ended up getting a vision for charity water. And uh, he's given the rest of his life uh, to promoting uh, clean water for people in need. It's a fantastic story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a link at the, in the details here of the YouTube page. You could go and you could listen to a podcast where he tells his story. Truly fantastic a work that he's doing. And, and here's what I would say. Um, um, he was living a life that most would say was cool, uh, but now he's living a totally different novel kind of life. And guess what? People still think he's cool. Uh, maybe not the same people. I think he, he talks about he lost a lot of friends, but, but, but it's cool still. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian, you hear a story like the work he's doing is cool. Uh, the second example I would give is this. The What's happening with the coronavirus? You know, 
uh, what used to be cool is, is no longer cool. And what used to not be cool is, is now cool. So like, it's no longer cool to go to the beach with all your buddies and, and just get drunk and party on the beach. You, you get scolded for that. You get mocked for that. That's no longer cool. What is cool is, is staying at home watching Disney movies in your pajamas. And Christians have been saying, hallelujah. <laughs> this is like, we, we, have a mar- you know, we have a corner on this market. Um, uh, things are changing of what's cool in this strange moment. I mean, just look at the things people are saying. They're saying things like this. Uh, people's well-being and their life is more important than, than any fun or entertainment that I could have. Um, people's life and well-being is, is more important than the money that I'm losing. Uh, people are saying, we should consider others more valuable than ourselves. People are saying things we should check in on our neighbor, even at risk to ourselves. Uh, people are saying all human life is valuable. The young and the old, all human life is valuable. Um, people are saying things like, uh, let's sacrifice for a total stranger that we'll never meet. Let's sacrifice for them. And then and finally, people are saying things like this, that Christians have been saying for years, and this Christian in particular has been saying for years, <coughs> People are saying, nurses are the best. And that's so true. I'm married to a nurse, if you didn't know that. Um, it's, it's such a strange thing that this end of all things, this end time sort of um, coming face to face with your mortality is opening people up to what's actually cool. And we're starting to see that, that the things that Christians have always been saying are now being said by the cool people. It's becoming cool to say the things that Jesus said, to care for others as more valuable than yourself. It has exposed, this end times thinking has exposed something novel and new. But I would, I would warn us though, uh, this will probably be a momentary blip uh, because often what happens is, is the novel becomes the popular and people start doing it just because everybody's doing it. But eventually that loses steam and the coronavirus will go away and people will turn back to their ways. Except hopefully for us as Christians. Hopefully nothing will change in a time of corona and a time out of it. We will do the same thing today and tomorrow and next year and next decade because we take our cue not from the ways of the world, we take our cue from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So turn back with me real quick. Peter said this in the very first chapter of this book. <clears throat> one twenty-four. Peter said this. He basically said, fads come and go. What's cool and not cool comes and goes. What's popular and, and unpopular. Sometimes the way of God is closer to that which is popular. Sometimes it's further away. But here's what he said. In one twenty-four, he said this, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So my friends, can you be cool and be a Christian? Well, you don't change what you do depending on what's popular or cool in the first sense. You only are true to yourself, you're true to who God has made you to be and told you that you are, and you're true to the commands of God, the word that endures forever, that does not change. In and out of season, you do the same thing. So can you be cool? Maybe, 
Maybe the world will see that as cool. Somebody who convictions and love for God are their driving force. But to be honest, many won't. Many won't see that as cool or refreshing or or novel or the not not or that it's novel will just be scary to them or offensive to them. But regardless of whether or not the world notices, keep doing what God desires for you to do. Seek out his will, follow his way, love people as Jesus has loved you in and out of season, and God will be glorified and people will be blessed and you will be accomplishing and maximizing your days as you were meant to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these people. We thank you for this moment that we get to be together and worship in this place. We ask that you give us strength to turn from our old ways to the new ways of Jesus. We ask that you give us courage even when the scoffing is loud, to continue to follow the ways of Jesus, God. And we do pray that when we seek the welfare of our city and others and show hospitality and return um, love for evil, God, when that happens, that some people would see that as cool. And some people would ask us how they can get some of that and be a part of that. And that you would continue to be glorified in all things because you are the King of Kings with dominion. This is your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.